Welcome to another episode of the CC Podcast Conversations, where inspiring Christians share their faith-filled stories. Please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast, leave a five-star rating, and write a review. This helps push our content to a broader audience. Are you new to listening? Check out our other podcasts. First, the CC Podcast Daily Dose Devotions, where we're walking through the Bible, focusing on short clips of Scripture. Second is the CC Broadcast, where our weekly radio programming is archived. These podcasts are available wherever you're listening or at christiancrusaders.org. Okay, let's get started with today's episode. Here's our host, Matt Reister, the Executive Director of Christian Crusaders. Hey everybody, Matt Reister here with the CC Podcast Conversations. We are at NRB 2023. Andrew, it's day two, day three, what is it? Sort of day three, it's Wednesday. It's our third day, but it's kind of day two since the exhibit hall opened. Yeah, we got here Sunday night and started putting up our exhibit. We've gotten a lot of kudos for our exhibit this year. And we're like right on Broadway here. We're getting great traffic. We'll never go back. I don't think so. It's sort of like when you when you go to a like a resort or a cruise ship and you first decide, now nah, you know what, instead of that inside cabin, I want a balcony this time. You never go back. I've never done that, but I can believe that that's what happens. Yes, that is exactly what happens. So we got an interview right now with Phil and Priscilla Fretwell, and I, re- I specifically remember getting the email of them requesting uh, to do this interview. They experienced some infidelity in their marriage, uh, which was based on some porn addiction and sexual dysfunction type stuff in Phil's life from a young age, and... Uh, and then they're reconciled. They wrote a book called Savage Marriage to kind of talk about that. And the thing that jumped off the page to me was the word raw. They, they, their book is a raw kind of discussion yeah. about these topics. Yeah. And that's what we like here. Yeah, Just, absolutely. Uh, probably not, not the best one for maybe young kids or unsupervised kids. but Yeah, when I was, uh, I remember when I was sitting here talking to them, I thought we're going to have to put a little something of a disclaimer at the yeah. front end that says, hey, be discretionary about right. who you let listen to this. I mean, it's not going to get way graphic. No, no. But, but it's it's a sensitive topic, sort of like uh, what we did with Joshua Broom. And, and just it's a topic that, that you don't want kids to listen to without some perspective and parental supervision. Yep, totally. And yeah. I think you're going to be blessed by it. Um, yeah. Great conversation. I enjoyed I'm remembering a moment in the conversation where Priscilla got emotional as she was describing you know, some of the healing process. And uh, I could just tell at that moment, I mean, this was just an unrestricted, you know, in uninhibited kind yeah. of recounting of this. And I just appreciate their candor. Very, yeah, very genuine people. Yeah, you can tell through the interview. So if this is your first interview that you've heard from our NRB stable of interviews, we got a bunch of them and, and they're great. And then beyond that, we've got like 60 some other episodes on the Conversations podcast, as well as a completely different podcast where we have daily devotions and another one where we archive our weekly radio broadcast. So let's check that out if you haven't yet. And thanks for tuning in. Hey, everybody, Matt Reister at the 2023 National Religious Broadcasters Convention. We're right here on Main Street, so to speak. Lots of noise in the background. You'll hear that. And that just means stuff's happening around here and we're where stuff is happening, which is where we need to be. I want to say thank you before we get started with this interview, which is going to be with Phil and Priscilla Fretwell about marital issues. And uh, let me just say the reason that I jumped on this, we get inundated with requests for interviews. The word raw jumped out of your bio to me in the email that you sent. Yeah. And I thought, you know, there's a chance this isn't just going to be some other marriage story. The the word raw is what I think is going to impact people. I'm going to come back to that, but I need to say thank you to Reasons for Hope, which is a ministry. You can find them online, rforh.com, rforh.com, Reasons for Hope. They do apologetics ministry and a bunch of other great stuff. And uh, there's a guy running around here named Dave Glander who looks like he belongs in a motorcycle gang, crazy beard, wild man. Uh, He and the ministry he represents have uh, thrown in some money to help sponsor our booth here, which is in a great location and not cheap. And uh, so we're giving them the sponsorship rights to each of these interviews. So thank you, Reasons for Hope, for your partnership. And we look forward to seeing what the Lord does with you guys here at the the convention and beyond. And so uh, go check out Reasons for Hope. Okay. Phil and Priscilla, raw. 
Um, it's my belief, just because it's been my own experience, that the people who have the most impact on me for the faith or in life are people who are just transparent and mm. uh, authentic. And I've tried to be that kind of person myself as a basketball coach or in the ministries I lead or the business I, I lead. And uh, I've noticed that when you just get real and raw with people, and not for the sake of rawness, but just for the sake of being genuine and transparent, and, um, the Lord uses that to have impact. So uh, I don't know exactly where this interview is going, but the reason I even wanted to have it was for, uh, for that. And I can hear my voice starting to go, and it's only the first day. So <laughs> we're going to see how this goes. Um, in two or three sentences, tell us the, the opening summary of why you're here, why you wrote this book, uh, Savage Marriage, and what we're going to talk about today. Well, we lived for 28 years of our marriage, really trying to look good and be somebody, and especially in the religious circles. And I think that's where we were. And after about 28 years of marriage, um, I decided to let Priscilla in on all the secret life I've been living, the sexual immorality and everything else. And it really took us to a dark spot at the beginning, but this was six years ago, but really winded up rescuing our lives. That's right. I mean, it was... Um it was coming down off a high horse, you know, and hitting your butt on the ground. And, uh, and it just shattered everything that, we, that I thought was our marriage. And um, so the, the thing about writing the book, it was very much uh, after we had walked through this and come on a journey of healing, that we saw God heal our marriage. God impressed us to write the book. And uh, he, he made it very evident. And I got to tell you three three different things happened to us that we said, yeah, God wants us to write this book. And there was not just, oh, it would be a good idea. It was God saying, write this book. I want you to tell me the three reasons. But before that, I want to ask a question. You said you were running around in religious circles. Mm -hmm. Were you believers then? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like saving faith. Oh, oh absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I was the chairman of the elders at my church. Uh, teaching weekly Bible studies have been doing that for decades. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, but but you know the thing is, Matt. See, people give a lot of grace to, to Christians talking about their bad choices before they became a believer. Right. But after they became a believer, there's very little grace for that. And what happens is we develop a culture of privacy and secrecy and hiding. Uh. And and to walk out from underneath that. I mean, when we did that. Uh, I will tell you, we had a lot of religious people run away from us, but we had a lot of broken people run to us. Wow. Isn't that something? It is. It's exactly what you're talking about with authenticity yeah. and transparency. It's the, it's the person who is broken that says, you know, I like that. Yeah. I like what I see in you. Yeah. I see someone who is real, yes. who is honest and open, and I want to see more of that. The people who are in hiding will say... Hasta luego, yeah. I'm leaving, <laughs> yeah. you know, and they do. And, but, but it is an interesting fact of how the broken people are drawn to truth. Don't you think that there's an awful lot of what you've already described going on in Christianity? It is. I mean, it, and, and I'm assuming that's why you, part of why you did this, is, is to give people who are in your position, not yeah. people making mistakes before they were Christians, yeah. but people who are in a mess as believers, the kind of freedom and cover to come out and be open and honest. It, it is, and Matt, it's an amazing thing. If you look around us, we live in a culture of privacy. I mean, everywhere you go, here's my privacy rule, here everything, right? And it makes us go into a culture of cover-up. Yeah. It's like the privacy cover-up is what it is. And we have to get to a place where we come out from underneath that as believers and say, wait a minute, that is not the way that we walk in the light as he is in the light. Yeah. And when we started doing that, man, God really started, started uh, showing up in our marriage. That's cool. So what were the three reasons that you the, wrote the book? The three you, reasons? You, you said you were given three reasons. Well, no, three, three different opportunities that God said, write the book. Okay, yeah. Okay. One, we were at a writer's conference because everyone, we had just written our workbook. And, and so we were going to figure out, should we write a story? Okay, should we tell people our story? So we went to a writer's conference. We knew diddly squat about writing. 
Can okay. I cut you off a second? Yes. So you said you were working on a, you had done your workbook. Yes. But you hadn't written your book. So you did a, what, tell me about the workbook. Oh. <laughs> okay, the workbook is some of the things that the Lord has revealed to us as we were going on this journey of healing and recovery. Yeah. Because what happened is, is that, you know, we all want to be healed of all this trauma that has happened to us, especially in a marriage where there's infidelity, we want this to, can we have some healing here? And, um, but the healing that we observed was that um, we had to walk towards our past and, and go back to our past and see the different things that had influenced us, the trauma that we had gone through as kids, as in high school and college, all the different things that had affected our life because those things that have affected your life make you make choices today. Yeah. And so we had to go back that, back to that place and both of us had to. Yeah. And that, so that's what the workbook is really about, God's healing power from going back to the present. And so this workbook, you'd already done this. Well, yeah, it's, it's, well, it's funny, we had done it but we hadn't published it. We were just using it. We were using small groups at our house and sharing. Got it. You know, but it's something you put together. It is something we put together. It's out on Amazon now. It's Savage Marriage Study Guide. And so, the reason I'm stopping you there is because usually the workbook comes after the book. Exactly. Yeah, that's what everybody told us. <laughs> they, they they told us we did it all wrong. But you know, we we did it the way we thought God led us to do it, right? Yeah. So anyway, you're at this writers conference. Right. And uh, you know, I mean, it's a long story, but I'm going to make it short. We're at a writers conference. We're sharing with people that we run into about, you know, we're thinking about doing this, and this is our story. And the next morning we went back to the writer's conference and this woman who had, I had spoken to that night came up to me in the morning and she said, Priscilla, God's given me a word for you. Okay, this was at campus uh, crew campus here oh, in yeah. Orlando. Cool. And she says, Priscilla, God's given me a word for you. He says that yes, you should write the book and, um, and it needs to be both of you writing it. Wow. We go, okay, well, thank you. I received that, you yeah, know? Yeah. So we, we left that, uh, that writer's conference, and, maybe, and then we went to Atlanta to visit our granddaughter and uh, my daughter and son-in-law, and we went to a church that they had never, they were not a part of, and we went through the service, and it was really good, and then un we've never been there, like I said, and there, after the service, they said, hey, we're going to have three lines up here. One is for salvation, yeah. one is for prayer, and one is for prophecy. Okay, this was all new to us. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Because I'm a missionary's kid and kind of grew up a little bit Baptist, you know? <laughs> yeah, so there ain't is... no prophecy. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it was like, okay. And Phil, Phil said, hey, do you want to go up there to the prophecy line? And I'm like, yeah, let's go. So we went up there and... Um, and it was a man and a woman, and um, the person who was kind of leading the line said, don't give them anything other than your name, okay? So we went up to this man and the woman who were standing there, and we said, Phil and Priscilla, and they took a moment to pray, and then they told us something really amazing. I'm gonna let Phil say it. Well, you know, going into both of these things, we just had two questions. Should we write a book? And if we do write a book, how do we do that? Is, her, is it both our voices? Is it my voice? You know, how do yeah. we do it? So when the woman at Crew said, your voice needs to be in the book, it was kind of like, wow, that's one of the questions we had. And she didn't even know what the, the question was. Yeah. So now we go to this church and the first person says, says um, you know, when you guys walked up, um, I'm impressed that you have an opportunity in front of you and God is very happy with the way you're stewarding what he's given you and it will be very successful in the future and she paused and she said as long as you do it together you have to do this together if you don't do it together it won't be successful this messes with my theology a little bit <laughs> i get it i get it <laughs> you know that's amazing though and so then the then the guy the guy that was with her said um she said well i'm impressed i saw that when you were coming up he said, do you remember how when the Israelites crossed the Jordan, they set up a memorial stone? Yeah, for sure. And it was to what God had done? Yep. He said, God has done something in your life, and he wants you to set up memorial stones. Wow. And he wants you to do it right now. Wow. And it was like, bam, 
right? And those three things, and even in the service at that church that day, the guy recognized somebody that had written a book. And he said, hey, there's somebody else here that I think God wants to do a, have it write a book. Is that the third one or is that? No, it's all kind of part of the same thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just. Oh, that's those, the third one, yeah. That's the third one. It was, and so it's just kind of those things that came together and confirmed what yeah. other people have been saying. But it was completely independent of the third people. And none of these people really knew our story. Wow. That is cool. Yeah. So when, when God uses people to confirm something yeah. like that, yeah. you kind of go, okay, I'm listening, Lord. Yeah. And so we did. We, we went home and we said, we got, we got to start this. And, uh, and it, was, it was an amazing experience because we didn't know how to do it. And then God led us to uh, a format that this is how you write a book. And we started writing. That's awesome. So let's go to the 28 years of yeah. secrecy or, or Hypocrisy. whatever. Hypocrisy. <laughs> okay. We'll call it what it is. Uh, and, and maybe even before that, where does this all start? I want to ask that kind of for you and you. I mean, where did... Yeah. Well, I, I grew up, my dad left when I was 10, uh, remarried three days later. Uh, wow. I, I ended up finding a bunch of porn in the neighbor's trash pile. And I didn't know this then, Matt, but that basically started filling in a gap. Uh, my dad had moved to another city, joined another family. I had a big source of pain in my life, uh, the porn. Where'd you and, grow up? Uh, Leesburg, Florida. Okay. Yeah, close to here. And, um, and that filled a gap in my life. Uh, I was introduced to masturbation by my stepbrother a couple years later. So now you got the porn and the masturbation that is soothing a big place of pain in my life. Mm -hmm. And so that's how my teenage years go. Um, and then I started getting involved with uh, girls early in high school and through my college age. And then I eventually became a believer when I was 21. So all the stuff I've been able to enjoy as an unbeliever, I now can't enjoy at all. So now what happens is I'm full of uh, shame and regret and trying to control it, but not having a lot of success. Yeah. And then I meet Priscilla when uh, we're 27, but she grew up entirely different than that. Right. My, my upbringing was, I was a missionary's kid in Brazil. And, um, so I, I came from a very, uh, what do you call, like, um, you present yourself well. Yeah. You know, you're a clean cut. Image say the right image, image conscious. You know, do the right thing. Make people know that you're a Christian by what you do and what you look like. Yep. And uh, my parents were somewhat legalistic in the do's and the don'ts. So it was just like straight and narrow, right? And uh, that, that, that's how I grew up. But then... The thing is, is that I continued that method, that this is how you present yourself as a Christian. Yeah. You know, and uh, I just I just know that God had so many things in store for me and that I really did miss it because of my hypocrisy, because inside of me. Right. And I know that when we when we met each other, we put on this perfect image look, never asking each other questions of our past. Wow. Or what had influenced us, right? Yeah. We just kept everything. He's my knight in shiny armor, and I'm the... With a few you know, dings in it. The, the what? <laughs> a few dings. Yeah, with a few dings. You didn't but, know about you it. Know, the thing is, is that we, we keep our image intact because we want to sell who we are to other people. Yeah. Right? Yep. And not show that, hey, we, we have all these scars on us, and this is who I really am inside. So I kept everything at, a, at superficial, yeah. and I really was a white stone uh, of hypocrisy whitewashed stone. whitewashed stone full you dead know? man's bones on the inside right and, yeah. and that's exactly where my life was i mean i presented this this christian mom wife going to bible studies church choir working with vbs everything right? I, I just think i'm just gonna stop right here and say yeah. this i i gotta believe that there are people listening right now who are tracking with what you're saying who are like that's me yeah and I just want to acknowledge that you're out there and you're listening and you need to keep listening. And we're just praying that the Holy Spirit does whatever he does through this interview in your life. Go ahead. So uh, I presented myself in this image and inside I really had nothing. Not that I wasn't saved. I received the Lord Jesus when I was six. Yeah. But if, if you had asked me what's the biggest thing that happened to you spiritually, I would say not much. <laughs> you know, I would say because I, because I of, shouldn't laugh. I, I'm laughing because of how true that is. Yeah. And it, that how, how many people would 
say the same thing, but wouldn't say it. (laughs) Yeah, or they wouldn't say it. But the thing is, is that it it was very much I was dead. It's kind of like you look at an iceberg and you see the iceberg and you go, oh, that's an iceberg. But you you don't bother to look underneath. And underneath it all, the inside of me was dead. I was full of fear and anger. I was unforgiveness towards towards people, towards my husband. Yeah, and then, you know, just, just the bitterness that resided in my heart. So were you able to keep that inside all the time? Or was it just when you were behind closed doors at home, it all came out, but not when you were out there in the public and well, at church and all that? Right, right. You keep, the anger would, would show up at home. Yeah. And people would, you know, I even went to an anger management, and a, wait, let me say it right, anger management class yeah. at church. And it didn't help me. All they said was, you know, exercise, get your aggressions out. Yeah. And tell people how you feel. Well, that didn't work. You know, I mean, <laughs> you can't tell people <laughs> the stuff that's going on inside my head, right? Yeah. But uh, yeah, I was a very um, cold person inside. There was no growth. And because of the family that I grew up in, you know, like even reading the Bible was a chore that I hated. Yeah. Okay. And my parents would make me read the Bible for me to watch TV. Yeah. It's like you got to read and then you got to write a summary. And, and you then earn you earn some TV time. Then you earn some TV time. Well, that makes you hate Bible. Yeah. I don't want to read it. And, it. and it instills a workspace righteousness. Right. Exactly. Yeah. A performance. And uh, so when this all came crashing down, um, all these things that I thought was, you know, what held me up came crashing down yeah. and just crumbling because I had nothing. Crisis. You know, I knew God in the sense that I know he's everything, but I did not have a intimacy with God that I would say that he was my all in all, that he was directing my life, that he was giving me words of life. I didn't want to hear him. And that really is where I was. I was a rebellious person inside, though I was playing along looking that I was like Miss Miss Christianity all along. This might not be a fair question. Looking back on that, do you ever question if you were really saved? No, I was saved. Okay. I was. Okay. Yeah, and I think that is the reason why um, when the Lord, well, we're going to get to the story, but uh, when, when I heard him for the first time speaking to me in ages, I knew it was the Lord Jesus. Wow. So... Yeah. Where did it start for, or you, you said it already, kind of. Well, I, you know, getting up to get married, right? So we get yeah. married, and she doesn't know any of my struggles or any of my problems like or anything. Nothing. Yeah, she knows that I wasn't a virgin. Okay. You know. Yep. And, and so uh, she knew that part. Mm-hmm. But as far as, like, the porn addiction, the masturbation and stuff like that, we didn't talk about that at all. What year did you get married? We got married in 1988. So by that time, porn is still... You don't have a cell no, phone. You no, don't have no. the computer. Nothing. No. It's magazines and books movies. and stuff. Yeah, movies. movies. Yeah. 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 And so, so we get married, and I, I am struggling now with going back to magazines and movies and things like that, and masturbation in our marriage. And but I'm also teaching Bible studies, and we homeschool our kids. We look very religious, and all these types of things, right? Yep. So this goes on for probably uh, 20 years like this. Um, there was one break 10 years into our marriage where she found out I was looking at porn one weekend. And, um, was that the 16,000 movies? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Tell that story quick. Yeah. Well, so Priscilla had gone out of town and I went to 16,000 movies and rented an X-rated movie. The kids were at home with me. That's just a regular movie store with just an adult a, section. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. And so I watched them at home. I Went there Sunday, slipped them in the overnight return drop box. So a lot of people listening probably don't know what the heck this is. <laughs> yeah, we're dating ourselves. Anyway. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, anyway. So I dropped it there because I, I didn't have the guts to actually take it to a real person the next day, you know. Yeah. And I didn't want her to come home and this stuff still be in the house. So it's funny, though. When I dropped it off, I wondered what happens if they don't check in this movie right. Well, I was going to find out about three days later because they called the house. Priscilla answered the phone. And you want to Yeah, I answered the phone, and, and, the, and the, the young person asked, Hey, did you rent some movies this weekend? And I said, No, I didn't rent any movies. And, I said, and she goes, Well, it looks like you guys didn't turn it in. 
And so uh, I said, well, what movies were they? And she named off, uh, you know, a title that I was not familiar with. Did it sound obvious? Well, I was going, what kind of movie is that? And then she said it was an X-rated movie. Okay. And I said, okay, um, let me talk to my husband. So I, I, you know, hung up the phone and I called Phil at work and I said, Phil, did you rent a movie? Well, that felt like a gut punch because I knew I had. Crap. And I couldn't. Is, is the, for, for guys and girls that are involved in this type of stuff, your worst fear is being found out. Yeah. And so now I get the call. I can't even say anything up to her other than I'll be home. And so I hung up the phone. I got home, saw her, told her I, I had done it. She was mad as fire. And she had a response to tell me. Yeah, I was, I was really mad, pissed off. Yep, for sure. And I was like, I cannot live with this. This is not what our marriage is going to look like. You watching porn, yeah? Because I was, I, I knew porn. I had been I had been introduced to porn when I was fifteen, so I knew what he what he was looking at. Yeah. And I said, no, this is not happening. Can you say how you were introduced? Uh, babysitting. I was babysitting at a, down the street, and the couple had magazines and books, and yeah, I went snooping around the house. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So. Um, so anyway, I was just, you know, like, you got to do something with this. You got to fix this because we're not going to live like this. Yep. And so I did what every other Christian guy does. I went out and hired the best counselor I could. And I went to him for five and a half years. And, um, and at the end of that, I said, hey, what do guys do? They just go to you the rest of their life? Or how does this work? And he said, well, frankly, Phil, most guys get to a place where they can manage their sin and they just stop. And I said, well, you know, I, I think I'm kind of there. And so I stopped. And, uh, but what happened is the seed that had started with porn now starts to grow. And so I'm out of town. I'm in a, another country, nice hotel, go to a, uh, the hotel, get a massage. And the woman offers more than a massage. And I accept, uh, I pay her 50 bucks and I leave and I go back to my hotel room and man, the despair and the trauma that hits me now, because I'm used to the, the, the just the porn. But I had always said I will never, ever step across the boundary of being with a real flesh and blood, blood woman. Yep. And now I crossed it. And man, I really started sinking in despair. And I swore I would never do it again. That's the only time. But it wasn't the only time. And so what had started with just porn and masturbation as a kid now started including uh, massage parlors, not only in other parts of the world, back, but back in my hometown. And I couldn't stop, and it wasn't every day or every week or even every month, it was periodically, but it was part of the cycle of immorality. And all the time, Matt, I'm still teaching, I'm still an elder at our church, the chairman of the elders two years while wow. I'm doing this, and our kids are still trying to look good and I want to be somebody at church and career and I'm, I'm well known around the community and so it was just a cycle of despair. So when this is, and I know I, I don't have experience with what you're talking about, but when something's funky in my life that I'm trying to cover up or trying to you know, suppress or not deal with it comes out somehow and now not, not necessarily the thing that's funky but it presents itself as being angry or prickly or yelling at my kids more than I should or uh, just being pissed off or just kind of a bad mood or whatever. Did, did it manifest itself outwardly in other ways besides you just telling, but, but besides people knowing about the sexual stuff? Yeah, I mean, I had other things that I, uh, I pursued to try to make me look good. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I bought a race car, started racing cars, and it was just uh, like this, this fast life that I wanted to be known as a player and uh, be seen as a risk taker and, and things like that. And so those types of things were really just manifestations of some brokenness that happened a long time ago. Because I think when my dad left, I found out that if I performed well, he noticed me. And so I became very performance oriented, even as a little kid. And that's what started driving a lot of the behavior. So at what point, you said 10 years into it, you had this weekend where some stuff came out. Yep. That gets kind of bottled up, back down, shoved down, whatever. <laughs> then when does this other stuff come out? Uh, 17 years later. And how? 
Well, I do want to add something to Phil's story because I mentioned how I lived in fear and anger, bitterness and unforgiveness in my life. That was displayed towards him because when I found out that he was doing this 10 years into our marriage, there was no healing. Yeah. We just shoved it down because there was no one to talk to. Yeah. No friend, no pastor, no family. We were going to cover this up and we're going to work this out ourselves. Yeah. And so for that period of time, from 10 years to 17 years forward, I, that's how I lived. And it was really directed at what was going on in our marriage that wasn't being dealt with. Yeah. So what happened now? Hey, so, hang on. Before you go there. Yeah. What did that look like for seven years? 17 years? Well, I mean, it's seven years from the 10 years. Okay. I mean, I mean like no intimacy, limited in- intimacy, just going through the motions. You mean from one to, to 10? No, from 10 to 17. No, no. Because you said you were unforgiving and, and toward him after that 10-year thing. Right, right. No, I mean, we kind of, I would just stuff it down. Because I had this look, this religiosity yeah. of having to look good for everyone yep. and pretend that there is nothing wrong, that there's nothing wrong going on be- with, with, between us. Yeah. And so, it, but I'm, I was very angry. I was short. I would hold grudges towards people in my family. I mean, there's, you know, I would... I would lose my temper. So, like, this is a raw question, okay? Okay. You you don't have to answer this. I probably will. Okay, good. (laughs) Uh, So, I mean, I know that there's something, if there's something funky going on between my wife and I, like, it affects our intimacy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you can have sex and then you can actually, like, make love. You know what I mean? Right. Well, (laughs) yes. and, And so, as I hear you describe how you felt toward him after you found out about the 10 year, 16,000 okay. movies deal, there was some bitterness, some grudge holding, some. And you can't really stuff it down no. without it affecting something. And, I'm, and that something in my marriage has sometimes been our, our sexual intimacy. Right. Well, I will say that that's a, that's a really good question because what happens in the. I'm going to put the blame, well, maybe I shouldn't put the blame on anybody, but the thing is, is that the way I grew up, I was doing my duty, and my duty was to have sex with my husband. Yes, okay, that's because, what I'm getting at. Yeah, because that, that is kind of like the thought in the church. That's what you got to do. Well, that's what you got to do. You yep. got to keep your husband happy, but I'm here to tell you, I kept my husband happy, and he still went off on me. Yeah. So it's not like keeping your husband happy is insurance that he's not going to be messing around. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, what I call duty sex. Yes. So it's only uh, we been. We call it bohemian sex and I got it from that guy over there. I don't even know why we say it that way, but anyway, go ahead. But I, I will say now today, it's totally a different story. Yeah. Our, we, we joke that for the past six years, this is what God intended us for for us to have that's awesome this intimacy this physical intimacy that we have yeah. is totally different than what we had in the past yeah and what we have now is really a, a cherishing time somebody he knows me like he was supposed to know me 34 years that's awesome. ago and it's a different level of knowing so here's here's i want again we're get. i forget the question you were answering <laughs> but i cut you off do you still know what you were going to talk about go ahead uh, okay um uh did you think after you'd experienced that the last six years, were you like, I can't believe this even exists? Like, like I never knew this was even a thing because I'd done this 28 years thing. Yeah. No, it, it's, it's true. I mean, you, you get into a mindset that you're doing something because you have to. Yeah. And then now it's something that we, we know each other. And I mean, we know each other spiritually, which we did not know. Yeah. And I'm not talking about church activity spiritually. I'm talking about knowing that I know what his heart towards God is and yeah. he knows my heart towards God. We share what God is telling both of us. Yeah. This is the work that God is doing in my life. This yeah. is what he spoke to me this morning. And so we know each other spiritually. We know each other emotionally, mm-hmm. which is totally different. And, uh, and, and we know each other in, uh, physically in a very intimate way and it's it's really a place of that you you open yourself up and you let the your spouse see who you really are yeah all the brokenness 
all the damage. This is what I am. Yep. And this is what God is doing. That's it's cool. a different level of knowing. Yeah. You've done this now for six years, and you've done this book. You've gone around and spoke and, and all this kind of stuff. If you were to just put a number on it or just kind of assess, how many Christian couples in Bible-believing churches, like I'm not even talking about the whacked-out churches that don't even believe Jesus is the only way to heaven or don't believe the Bible is true. I'm talking solid churches. Um, what percentage of Christian couples, not necessarily they've had this kind of story of infidelity, but that are missing this level of intimacy, have never turned the corner um, toward knowing each other spiritually and intimately the way you've just described. I, I feel like it's epidemic yeah. in the church. Yeah, it's, But I, I'm, not, I'm not on the front lines like you are. Well, it's well north of 50%. And if wow. I had to pick a number, I'd say 75. Wow. Yeah, because I am convinced most couples do not know one another spiritually. They know each other emotionally, and they know each other sexually, yep. but they do not know each other spiritually. And Jesus said, I want you to be one like I'm one with the Father. And that's a spiritual connection. And we've just now gotten to know that over the last six years, Matt. And it's, been, it's changed our life. Mm. Wow. So uh, how's this book being received? And, and, and how, so you knew you needed to write it together. You put the word raw in your media packet, which caught my attention. Mm -hmm. um, how did that, you know, wanting to be, did you know from the beginning, we just want to do a no holds barred yeah. Not pony punches book. Yep. Yep. And, and that takes a certain level of that's a certain risk. There's a certain level of people knowing stuff about our private lives that maybe we wouldn't have otherwise thought we would want people to know. Um, it, you know, talked in your media packet about, you know, not just confessing to one another, but just kind of openly talking about this. Mm -hmm. Even coming on here and saying the things you've already said is is kind of more out there than most couples who've gone this, gone through this would do. So why, why that? Well, the, the root of the issue had been around secrecy and hiding, right? And, and really, I'd have to say that it's probably a deeper root, and it was really my pride and arrogance. Wow. And I mean, I thought I had a porn problem. I really had a pride problem. Uh, and the pride problem manifested through this secrecy and this hiding. And so we had to break the back of that. And so I, when I came clean with Priscilla, uh, the next step is we started coming clean with all our kids. So we have five kids and we sat down and met with each one of them and their spouses, um, uh, one case of fiance, and we went through, I confessed everything to them, asked them to forgive me for it. And then we went to our family members. And then I started going to the, the elders of my church that I had been serving at. Uh, you know, I, I think we went through 26 different people during our first 60 couple of months of this. and just laid it all out there because I did not want to live in hypocrisy anymore. Wow. Um, one thing I've always wondered about stories like this, uh, where the guy commits infidelity and then there's some reconciliation and then they go out and tell their story. And now in a sense, I'm, correct me or you feel free to just kind of totally, you know, blow up what I'm saying. Um, but now there's this like kind of hero status. Like I did all this crazy bad stuff and now I wrote a book and now I'm going around doing podcasts and speaking at stuff and blah, blah, blah. And people know who I am and I'm this beacon of like reconciliation, what true Christianity is, you know what I mean? And, and now I get to be this hero. I've always wondered like, and I, like is the wife sitting over here going like, bro, yeah. why is everyone heroing this guy who screwed me over? You, you yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, and, and I'm overstating my question uh, to kind of make the point. But I know that people who are listening to this probably have the same question I've had over the past with stories like this. Well, uh, people always, there, there's this one pastor that said to Phil, Phil, you're a mir walking miracle that your wife didn't leave you. Yeah. You know, and, uh, but you know, the miracle really is, Matt, is that God came into this. Yeah. And it was really us just putting this like at the feet of Jesus and saying, Jesus, you, you need to do a miracle in our life because yeah, I didn't, I did not like him. I mean, I didn't want him to breathe my air yeah. after this happened. It's like, I looked at him in disgust. It's like, get away from me. Yeah. And as I would just want to get away from you. And, uh, but 
bringing the Lord Jesus into it. And he did a miracle. It really was. It wasn't based on, um, you know, counseling or going to people, going to our pastor. It was really coming and saying, God, you got to do something. And we're calling out to you because I know there's healing in him. He is the great healer. Mm. And there's nothing too big for him to do. Amen. And we're talking about a relationship that he he wants to be number one in this relationship. Yeah. Like what Phil just said, pointed out that he that we should have this relationship that Jesus and the Father had, yeah. right? And being one. I should be one with everyone. Yeah. Why? So that the world will know that he is the living God. Amen. Not that he's the that we all go to church. Yeah. But God does a miracle. Because he wants people to know yeah. he's the living God and he can do it. Yeah. He can move mountains and he moved a mountain in our life. He really did. And was it easy? It was the hardest thing we've ever done, Matt. Yeah. Is to face each other every morning and say, what are we going to do with the screwed up life that we have screwed ourselves up yep. so badly? And not to mean I didn't do uh, anything immoral, but I was living a self-righteous, prideful life. I was saying, I know everything, God. I'll call you from the back seat when I need you. Yeah. You're yeah. my get out of hell card. When I need you, I will call you. But right now, this guy, yeah. who I, who's my husband, he's my God. Yeah. He solves my problems. He's my provider. You're he's talking my about lover. before. Yeah, before. Yeah. yeah, before. I'm sorry. Yep. Yeah, before in that life, he was everything to me. And, and God was sitting in the back seat. So for God to come in and we say, God, help us. Yeah. Come in and do something. Make something out of this pile of crap that we have in front of us. Yeah. It was all God, but it took time. We had a lot of awkward conversations. Yeah. A lot of crying. Yep. A lot of, I can't stand you right now. Yeah. It wasn't like, oh, Christianese, we're all happy. Forgive one another. It, I had to walk through forgiveness. Yeah. I had to choose forgiveness towards my husband each and every day. And the only way I could do that is to say, God has forgiven you. Yeah. I can forgive you. Um, I wanted to kind of go, I'm scatterbrained. And so I'm, did you tell me, how did it come out after the massage parlor part? There was the 10 year part. And then how did it come out at the end? Yeah. Did you uh, tell me that oh, yet? Yeah, no, no, well, no, no. Yeah. So, so I'm living this terribly immoral lifestyle, but I'm getting to a place where I'm feeling very despondent. And uh, we switched churches, which had nothing to do with any of this stuff. But it was interesting, Matt, the song choices started changing. I, my previous church, we were singing a lot of songs about what I was going to do for God. You know, I'm going to bow down before him. I'm going to worship him forever. He's my all in all, all this type of stuff, right? When we switched churches, we started singing a bunch of songs about what he had done for us. He has healed us. He is setting the chains free. He is our deliverer. He's our provider. He's wow. our healer. And it planted a seed inside of me that maybe God could do something for me. And so I, um, I started trusting God that this problem in my mind, he could heal. And he started, I didn't know how, I wanted kind of the pain-free healing, right? And uh, mm -hmm. you know, where somebody would pray over me and you know, all of a sudden I'm healed, right? But God had something different for me. And I was, um, um, I had, uh, I would come back from vacation and I thought, I noticed some symptoms that I thought I had contracted an STD. Oh, wow. Now, now my life is really, now I'm in a real crisis, right? Yep. Now I hadn't, but I thought I had, yep. which is enough, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so it put me in a place of terror. And so I called out to a buddy of mine and he connected me with a friend, Paul Speed with Whatever It Takes Ministries. And he said, this guy is the only guy I know that's really been able to help guys with these problems. Okay. And, and so he got me on the phone with Paul and Paul listened to my story and he's the guy that told me I had a pride problem. He wow. said, Phil, he said, Phil, you think you got a porn problem. You go, you got a pride problem. And he was right. And he said, you got to tell Priscilla. And so I laid it all out to Priscilla and he had told me I can't spare the details because any details that I spare, she will imagine in her mind and they'll be much worse than what you're disclosing. Now tell me, how did that specifically play out? Like well, you came home one night and sat her down? Or, well, I, and the reason I'm asking yeah. this is because if there's anyone listening who's going, crap, I need to do this. How do I do this? Yeah. Well, I had, uh, I had been on a trip um, and I was flying home and I uh, knew that I needed to tell her when I walked in because I'd just been on the phone with, with Paul Speed and a buddy of mine and I laid out my life to them 
and they said, you've got to start with us. And they said, but you can't act, this is not reading the newspaper to her. You don't want her to see a picture of what you've done um, as much as you want to see her to see a picture of your repentance and your despair. And this isn't about regret. This is about repentance. Yeah. And so I got home, and man, I just dumped it out to her. But it was so hard to tell her. Like and you were in the living room, sitting on the couch. What? No, uh, we had gone out to lunch, and after we came back, he uh, said, "I have something to tell you." And uh, so we walked to the kitchen table, and uh, and I knew on the look on his face said, "I did something wrong." Yeah. And I said, "What's what's going on?" And and so he started to share, but. The thing is, is that, see, I had never seen Phil like that before, ah. which is a broken man, a man who's crying, whose lips are, are shaking, that he, can't, he cannot say, the words cannot come out of his mouth, yeah. because the opposite was who I was living with. Mm-hmm. A man who knew what to say, had the answers for everything, yep. was never lacking in words. And here I had a man who could not put two words together yeah. except cry and cry and cry. Yeah. And, uh, and I knew something was, 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 broken. Like, was, was broken, like something really happened. And for some reason, he is a broken man. And it was because he was starting to be broken before God. Yeah. Wow. So that, that, that afternoon, um, early afternoon, uh, it was quite a, a scene in the kitchen mm-hmm. with... Uh, him talking, me crying, screaming, getting really angry, and uh, just almost letting him have it and, and, and everything. <laughs> just, it was not a, a good place to be, but. And so from that point on, talk about the first few days or weeks, I mean, that were the hardest. Because I think, like you said, somebody said, the reason people don't do this is because it's gonna suck bad. It is. And, and for a long time. And in their mind, on the front end of it, they're going, it might never get better. Right. And so what was that? Like, give us the, the, the ugly side of this. For how long did it last? What did it look like? Were you, like, living in an apartment? Were you sleeping on the other side of the house? You no, know, that no. Kind of I mean, uh, once, he t- once he came and told me all of this, um, you know, I didn't want to have anything to do with him. And I did not know what we were going to do. I really didn't. Because... To me, everything was a lie. Yeah. Everything we had lived through, everything was a lie. And uh, but he he asked me. He had when he had spoken to Paul Speed. Uh, Paul told him about a retreat for women, and uh, and he said there's one next weekend. And so Phil signed me up, and he got a plane a plane uh, ticket for me to go up to Georgia. And um, I didn't know that yet. But he asked me. He said, Priscilla, I really have a really big problem with my mind. My mind is sick. I have a sick mind. And I need help right now. I need I need God to heal my mind. And he said, will you help me? And you know, for, for a split second there, I was like, no, I'm not gonna help you. You screwed everything up. Yeah. Why would I wanna help you? But God in his grace was like, you know, you've, you've been with him for 28 years. Yeah. You can do one thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he told me about, um, you know, Whatever Takes Ministries and this retreat that's called Four Days to Hope for yeah. Women. And I went up there. I went up there trying to figure out, well, if he couldn't fix this last time with a counselor, now it's up to me. Yeah. I got to fix him. Yeah. So I went up there to the in some Georgia cabin and, uh, and you know, it was like, I'm going to ask these questions so I can go back home and get him fixed. But I will tell you, the first day that we were in uh, a meeting, um, it, was, it was, I was sitting there and um, Paul's wife is speaking, Jenny, and, um, and the Lord said to me, and it's so interesting, right? Because God called me by name. Take your time. He said, Priscilla, I brought you here to fix you. And I, I had never heard that before. I had never heard him speak to me in that way. And um, it, was, it was life-changing to me to hear the voice of God. And it's, and it's the first time 
that I probably had ears to listen. Wow. Because my, my ears had been, my heart had been all closed up. Mm-hmm. And uh, so God spoke to me that day, and, and he revealed to me the things that I had in my heart that I shared with you earlier. All this crap was in there. And he's like, that's why you're here. Yeah. And uh, that's where, you know, I, I heard the message of forgiveness in a different way. Yeah. And um, because to me, forgiveness was put things uh, behind you. Uh, don't bring them up. And let's just forget about this. Yeah. And that's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is being able to speak with someone about what happened and using a different lens, right? A lens of forgiveness that this is how God sees the situation. Yeah. And from that day on, um, you know, I, I, uh, I chose to forgive Phil because God commands me to forgive him. Yeah. And, and I went home, not that everything was peachy king and we're just like, oh, we're so happy. It wasn't like that. It was hard work, you know, and we had to face that. And we faced it for quite a few months of going back and looking at all the things in our life, all the hidden places, every place that was hidden was now revealed. Yeah. And God came in and he did a miracle. Wow. So. Um, you, first of all, how do, how do people get connected to something like you went to in Georgia? Well, I mean, they're on the, they're on the web. Yeah, so. their, their website is witministries.com, W-I-T ministries.com, and they have events they go to. They have men's weekends, women's weekends, and couples. We actually coach there now. Okay. We, we help them as volunteer coaches, and we'll go over and be with them, you know, at several of these events during the year. It sounds powerful. It is. It is. You mentioned something a while back which the typical response for someone when they run into this is to go get a counselor and you did that for five years and blah, blah, blah. (laughs) And I mean, you're not maybe downplaying the role of counselors, but, but what I'm wanting to kind of probe a little bit is, um, because I I could name six to 10 marriages right now of, of people in the circles that I run in that are all the way from pretty much done maybe there's a half a percent chance to save this thing to headed that way but they don't even know it yet mm-hmm. because this kind of communication hasn't happened yet right <clears throat> um so i want you to talk a little bit about what you meant when you said that in terms of is there something are you saying don't go to a counselor? Or are you saying there's got to be something more than your typical just go get a counselor? Yeah, I, I am saying there's got to be more. I, I think what happens is we are we go to a counselor faster than we go to the Holy Spirit. Ah, that's what happens, and that's what I did ten years in our marriage, and and I, we have just completely switched that around in our our relationship. And um, I think that counselors should be a tool to point you to the feet of Jesus. You know, if you look at John chapter ten, it talks about if anybody is introduced John's talking this is the famous verse in John 10 10 that says the thief comes only to still kill and uh, still kill and destroy destroy right but the beginning of that chapter talks about the thief is the one that comes into the fold of the sheep some other way than the door which is Jesus and what happens is you've got to find counselors that point you back to the door which is Jesus yeah and not a lot of psychological um, gobbledygook gobbledygook or humanistic yep. programs and so those can be good. The other thing I'd say is that, you know, the Bible says we comfort others with the comfort we've been comforted with. Yep. So find a counselor that's walked through your journey, that they've received some comfort in this area, and let me share that with you. Yep. And I'm not saying my counselor didn't do that, because I like him, we're still friends, he's a great guy, but I was not, com- my, my part of that bargain is I was not completely transparent with him. Right? Mm-hmm. So they can only do what they can do. Right. <laughs> right? They are not magic workers, <laughs> you know? And my participation in that experience, if I have to look back on it and be really honest, I'd say I was not 100% committed in that. I was pacifying Priscilla's request is what I was basically doing. Is I wanted That happens to, all the time. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, and I, got, I did five years of it. I thought that was long enough and she would be adequately pacified. And now I'm, you know, quote, healed and let's move forward. Yeah. Before we wrap up, what else do you guys want to talk about? 
Well, you know, one thing I would I would share is early on, Matt, I thought this whole process was just for me. I really did. I thought I'm, I'm the problem. I need the healing. And I certainly did. But as this thing has played out, what we found, I had no idea that Priscilla had healing that she was looking forward to. And for her to take her 10% of the problem was monumental in this. And, and when she talks about it earlier, you would have concluded that she was the problem in the marriage, right? <laughs> Because she owned so much of that, but I was the real problem. So it resulted in my healing and her healing, and then our kids also. So a number of our kids and our extended family were all dealing with, with immorality issues. And so as we shared, they started coming clean in their own lives and turning toward God. Even my 84-year-old mother, when I shared with her, which I knew would devastate her because she thought I hung the moon, Yep. She said, she said, well, you know, we all have secrets and I said well mom what do you have and she pondered and she said well 46 years ago I had an illegal abortion I never told anybody wow and I said I said well mom I said I'm all these years you hadn't forgiven I said well you need to share um, with my sister and so my sister came over to see her and my mom shared with my sister her daughter and then my sister shared with my mom about her abortion that she had had that my mom wasn't aware of so so what we ended up seeing this, this thing on coming clean is a ripple effect. It's bigger than the current problem. It is a gigantic problem that can create a ripple effect through your entire family, and I'm convinced even to the generations to come. That's the big opportunity here. Wow. I also think that it makes us credible messengers, and I think that that is probably what the young people are not seeing is a credible messenger. Right. And uh, so what, what's the point of being a part of church when there's no credible messengers? This is what has happened in us, is that our children have seen that we are credible messengers now. We weren't before. Mm-hmm. We were just kind of doing Christianese and hoping we, the we best. Were, we were religious messengers yeah, yeah. before. And so, yeah. you know, I think it's life-changing. I've seen it change my kid's life. I've seen it change uh, our two uh, daughters who live with us. They're teenage and they are incredible. And I will tell you, it's just what God has done in their life is I am just so praising God for because they're, they have changed. Their trajectory of their life has changed. Amen. That's awesome. And see the goodness of God in that. How can people get a hold of you, learn more about you, the book, etc.? Well, then go to our website, savagemarriageministries.com. And uh, they can also, we do podcasts, and um, they are on uh, Spotify, iTunes, other major platforms, platforms, and it's Savage Marriage with Phil and Priscilla. Very raw, just like the way we're talking today. We'll link that in our show notes for this one. Yep. And then we'll share it with you and and all that. Um, Why Savage Marriage? (laughs) Well, well, when we got started with the small groups, we were talking to our 25-year-old son, Michael. And, and he said, what are you going to name this group? And we were coming up with names like, I don't know, Oneness in Marriage. And he said, <laughs> and he said Dad, he goes, that is so bad. And so I said, okay, what would you name it? And he said, and he thought, and he said, Savage Marriage. And I said, wow. I said, that's pretty aggressive. And so uh, well, at we fir- picked at that fir- up. At first he said, I would call it Badass Marriage, <laughs> but a lot of Christians would not buy the book. <laughs> that's right. He goes, Savage is better. So, yes, I so love we, it. So we all, I, we all turned to Savage. That. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I, I'm glad you said that because it gives uh, it gives our listeners, if they haven't picked up on it already, the level of just kind of candor that you have, um, which I think that's the key uh, in so many ways to kind of spiritual impact. Now, when you said it gives you credibility, you weren't saying that to be a credible Christian, you have to go through this. No. But for you, yes, for you yes. two to be credible Christians, this is what the Lord had to do to get you to that point. Yeah, that's kind of what you're saying. Yes, right? I'm. I'm saying that you know what, before we would not have been able to testify about the greatness of God in my life. Yeah, and now I can. Yep. Because totally. I'm a credible messenger. Yep. Not that everybody has to go through right. what we did, but to be able to say this is what God has done in my life, no matter if you've never gone through it. Having that kind of impact from God in your life makes you a credible yep. messenger. Awesome. Uh, just quick, the podcast. What's your format? How often do you do a, uh, an episode? We do one every few weeks, and it's about 25 minutes long. And it's her and I back and forth. And we're talking about issues. And 
things that come up and uh, uh, like I think we were talking about the next one I think we're gonna call it uh, we were stuck and blind as a bat uh, something like that but it's just it's just very real going through and we usually give three or four points that God showed us awesome yeah I, I don't want your listeners to think that we have arrived because we have not. None of us have. We hit speed bumps all the time and yep. say, okay, what are we going to do with this? But we commit to tell you about the speed bump. Yeah, we do, tell, awesome. we do tell people about our speed bumps. And you've got a whole new way of dealing with speed bumps that you didn't before. Exactly. Now that everything's out in the open. Yeah. When you're talking about the ripple effect, I mean, Satan loves to operate in the darkness and in the shadows. And when things come to light, uh, even when it's ugly and bad, the Lord goes to work. And, and Satan loses his power. Yes, yes. Great. Yeah. Uh, Phil, Priscilla, Fretwell, thank you so much for being with us. And uh, God bless your ministry and, and the rest of your week here at NRB. Great. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Matt. The CC Podcast Conversations is part of Christian Crusaders Radio and Internet Ministry, started in 1936 and is one of America's longest-running radio ministries. We are 100% donor-funded, and donations to our ministry are tax-deductible. So if you are encouraged, challenged, or inspired by today's conversation, please consider making a donation on our website, christiancrusaders.org, or mail a check to Christian Crusaders, 7401 University Avenue, Cedar Falls, Iowa, 50613. In addition to our other podcasts, which I mentioned at the front of this episode, I want to mention two of our other ministry partners worth checking out. First, the Cedar Falls Bible Conference, equipping believers with the truth of God's Word since 1922. Visit cedarfallsbibleconference.com for free access to previous conference content or for more information about upcoming events. Second is Power to Change Digital Strategies, an online ministry partnering volunteer Christian mentors with people around the world searching the internet for answers. If you or someone you know could benefit from an anonymous online conversation with a caring Christian adult, go to issuesiface.com. Or if you would like to be a volunteer Christian mentor, please visit p2cdigital.com. That's the letter P, the number two, and the letter C, digital.com. See our episode notes for details and links, and remember to subscribe, leave a five-star rating, and write a review. God's richest blessings to you, and thanks again for listening.